Hello everybody and welcome to the second leg of what we are calling Hashtag Football is Pro Wrestling here on the Puro Puro Podcast. I am George Thompson, with me as always we have uh, Daniel and David. Hello! Oh, yeah. Hey, good, good stuff. And um, so what we are doing today is we'll be talking about, again, if you've listened to episode one, what we have been doing is talking about aspects of the beautiful game, football, um, and explaining them in in terms of wrestling, the ways in which football is pro wrestling, in the sense of the spectacle, the razzmatazz, the great angles and promos, and the uh, the subject that we're going to uh, start talking about, uh, first of all, uh, football matches that were works. Uh, but before we before we do so, I think it would be remiss of me to mention that, uh, or not to mention that, uh, since we last recorded, um, DDT has actually done a match in which... Um, the pinfall was counted by the ref and one of the wrestlers complained and so they went to VAR. (laughs) DDT, man, always ahead of the curve in cultural uh, references when it comes to wrestling, man. It was fantastic. I've seen it and yeah, they even did a little rectangle motion. Is the video out now of it? Because I've not seen it yet. Yeah. I I heard someone talking about it. I dare say Jamie will have retweeted it, but it's on the DDT uh, English yeah, like uh, it, it, it's very, very good. DDT does tend to get the comedy elements of wrestling uh, very right, and I mean we've just we've just uh, witnessed a um, shocking result in the World Cup. Yeah. Full disclosure at the time of recording, we've just seen uh, Brazil go out two uh, one to Belgium yeah, in the uh, quarterfinals of the World Cup. I think it's on Luis Oliveira smiling from upstairs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looking down upon the ball. It's not even dead. No. <laughs> Just, just, just floating in an eternal kind of, um, like, uh, you know, purgatory. Yeah, um, yeah, just, well, I mean, yeah, this World Cup has, uh, you know, full of pro wrestling, really, just like abs- absolute mad shit, uh, villains of the piece, yeah. um, uh, and some great bumps from Neymar as well yeah. um, uh, throughout the tournament. The the roles he was doing would um, have disgraced the technique of even the uh, the canniest lucha veteran. Oh, mate. Such was the uh, the grace of his tumbling. I, I mean, I mean, Kurt Hennig is prime. His like you know dangerous um, you know don't give a fuck prime of like insane back bumps has nothing on this guy. Uh, you know, uh, fuck me. Uh, oh, you know what the best. You know what the best thing is about Neymar is that I got an angry phone call from my dad about him. That's what was best about him. You know what my dad said? He rang me up and he was like, "Oh, he was like, you know that Neymar? He's got bags of talent, bags of talent. But I tell you what, he's a fucking embarrassment." <laughs> <laughs> from from the little I know about your dad, that does sound like the sort of thing he would say. The the only time my dad has ever commented about football to me. Um, I remember once we, we went to the chippy and I was he went into the chippy oh, and I stayed I in the car. I don't. I love a chippy. I live in Spain the, now. I can't get them. Oh man, you, you need to get a chippy. This isn't the best chippy in Glasgow, so, but we're carrying on, right? But uh, there was a TV in the chippy and they came out and we went home. And he said, "Oh, I was I was watching football and in, um, in, in the chippy and they had sports scene on." And I says, "Did you know that Hamilton Aki's are in the Premiership?" And I'm like, "Yes." He says, "Yeah, they've been there for a while." says, "But they're shy." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they are, they are. He says, no, I mean, they're really, really shite. Like, because all, all he thinks of sc- cl- clubs are, like, from what, how good they were in the 70s when he used to, like, get cigarette yeah. cards. Of, of the, That's the reference. So he's like, no, Hamilton Ackies are fucking, like, rotten. I was like, yeah, they are rotten, but, you know. Uh, I didn't get into telling him about how they get scammed out of half a million quid by a phone scammer, but uh, just blow his mind. Yeah, yeah. Let, 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 let's not, you know, let's not dose him up too highly on the first go-round. Baby steps. Um, um, so, uh, I mean, the first thing, as I've uh, intimated before, is uh, we're going to talk about is uh, football matches that are uh, were works. 
So um, as seeing as we're in a World Cup year, I thought I would start with a few World Cup examples. Now, it uh, might shock you to uh, to know if you uh, if like me, your image of FIFA and the World Cup is one of, um, you know, rigorous probity in uh, all aspects. And <laughs> certainly no shenanigans. Who actually thinks that? Who holds that as an opinion? A Mr. S. Blatter Esquire. Of Geneva Penitentiary, Switzerland. Oh, he's going to penitentiary. Seth Letter is going to the penitentiary. Just waiting for his cover of Folsom Prison Blues. Mm. Just, uh, just him and a Swiss, a Swiss bullhorn. Yeah, cheeky edit. Cheeky edit. <laughs> um, so... Um, yeah, it, it may it may shock you to know if uh, if you hold this opinion about FIFA that there have been uh, not one, not two, but three World Cups which have um, allegedly been decided by uh, foul means. Now, none of the stories I'm about to tell are 100% corroborated, but when has that ever stopped us? So, um, Exhibit A, the uh, 1934 World Cup final between Italy and Czechoslovakia held in Rome. Uh, legend has it that uh, the Italian players received a telegram from Benito Mussolini himself on the morning of the game simply saying, win or die. God, I hate Benito Mussolini. Yeah, I know. He was he was a right rotter, wasn't he? Fucking wrong. It's a, it's, a very, it's a very controversial opinion, especially yeah. in 2018. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think we can come down on the fence and say Mussolini. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fair enough. Um, I mean, my um, one of my most um, treasured um, gifts I ever received from my granddad, who's now sadly passed on, um, he served in Italy in the war. And he had a great picture of him um, with thumbs up like that with an Italian um, um, woman who he made the acquaintance of also doing a thumbs up. And behind them, just uh, strung up, was uh, Mussolini and his, uh, his wife. Uh, so, uh, Fucking hell! Yeah! Like, um, Jesus! Man. When I was younger, I thought it was awful. But as I got older, I thought, that's uh, that's. You know, it's not killing Mussolini, I think we can genuinely agree. You know, it might not be PC to say it in 2018, but I'm you know what, you know what, George? I'm gonna I'm gonna cock a snook at the social justice warriors, and I'm gonna say that I would hang Mussolini today. (laughs) Get at me on Twitter. So the um so the the other rumor about that final goes that uh, the game finished one all and went into extra time and there was a rumor that um the Italian players conscious of, of uh, the contents of this telegram from a uh, noted bag egg Bellito Mussolini um went over to the Czechs and kind of went lads would you mind letting us have this what? one um <laughs> so that's the that's the first uh, World Cup final where there was allegedly some uh, aspects of the work happening uh, number two. Speak well for, before we go on. Speaking of dictators um, who quite fancied themselves, at, um, you know, putting on a curtain in the football, um, we, we, we'd be remiss to not mention um, Ceausescu, <laughs> um, who soon decided that um, his his hometown of Gornicesti, um in Romania, obviously, um, he decided to make them an absolute footballing colossus. Yeah, basically supported this small provincial team. And basically um, fixed it so that um, basically if you if you don't let this team win, uh, you will uh, die. Essentially, on numerous occasions, he he fancied himself as a bit of a um, a bit of a mover and a shaker in the Romanian football scene. 
I mean, say what you will about the Stasi, at least in, um, <laughs> and I know a lot of you will, um, at least when they <laughs> arranged it for uh, Dynamo Berlin to win the DDR Oberliga 10 times on the bounce, at least they're at least <laughs> somewhat subtle about it. Um, so, um, speaking of. And they're speaking, a dynasty. And they're a dynasty in Germany. Speaking of, uh, speaking of Germany, brings us nicely onto uh, Exhibit B of uh, Dodgy World Cup Finals 1954, West Germany versus uh, Hungary. Um, with the the famous uh, final, the miracle of Ben, where uh, hung- Hungary blew a two 0 lead and ended up losing three two to a uh, unfancied West Germany team, and there were rumours that um, the West German players had been doping. The evidence uh, for this was that um, Hungary had beaten West Germany eight three in their uh, first round game. Although this can be explained away by the fact that uh, West Germany rested a lot of players uh, for their must-win game against Turkey a few days later, which was the game that would actually decide if they made it to the knockouts. Um, so th- so they basically were like, OK, we're not going to give the game away against Pushkas and Hidaguti et al., so let's play the reserves, and they got walloped. The other um, piece of evidence um, that uh, the German players have been doping, French Pushkas uh, pointed out that um, a lot of the German players had come down with jaundice um, after, the, uh, after the game and had to be packed off uh, to rest homes, and he reckoned this might have been the side effect of the uh, quote-unquote supplements that they had been using, um, or maybe caught from an infected needle or something. Uh, however, there is also evidence to suggest that it was something the players in question had caught on a club tour of South America, as one of their uh, club teammates who wasn't playing in the World Cup also came down with jaundice and he'd been to the same place. Um, so there's not a huge amount of evidence to suggest that the West Germans uh, were doping. I think people really want to explain away the fact that the Hungary team, who had not been defeated for four years had lost in such a shocking fashion but there was still a widespread belief in certain sections that there was something dodgy about that final um, but, so George, uh, but George I, I don't understand because you said this episode's about how football is pro wrestling but I mean that's nothing like pro wrestling because no one has ever doped in pro wrestling ever <laughs> no that is true um, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, certainly a not a bit offended George that you would dare make those kind of um, associations on, on a program like ours, which, if nothing else, has held up the good reputation of the wrestling industry as a place for honest, good, healthy young men. I mean, you look at somebody like, for example, I see a Lex Luger or a Bill Kazmaier I mean, or a Gary Strider. Oh, yeah, Gary Strider this world. Absolutely. I mean, peak athletes at the top, top of, the of their game. They don't. They don't need any no. supplements. Why would you? When you already look like you know that it's you know. <laughs> no, I would. I would. I would wish to uh, uh, heartfeltly apologise to all these men, especially uh, one Mr. Lexington F. Luger. So um, <laughs> the um, exhibit C in dodgy the okay the World Cup final of 1978 is not in itself reckoned to be dodgy. However, the way in which the host nation, Argentina, qualified for it is. Ooh. Now, um, going the World Cup 1978 had a sort of weird system where you had four groups of four, which turned into two groups of four, and the top team from each of those groups would meet in the final. Argentina went into their final group game in the second round, knowing they had to beat Peru by four or more goals to have a good enough goal difference to make the final. Argentina, um, which... which uh, I will mention at this point was run by a uh, military hunter at the time. Uh, went no. on to went on to beat Peru six nil, and uh, therefore get into the final and go on to beat the Netherlands. Now, uh, to say that Argentina beating Peru six nil was unexpected is uh, somewhat of an understatement, considering Peru had finished top of their first round group, which was a tricky group involving the. Uh, defeated runners up the Netherlands and also a very strong Scotland team who believe it or not were fancied as a dark horse to win the thing 
Um, They're really going to shake it up when they win the <laughs> World Cup because Scotland are the greatest football team. Terms oi, and conditions apply. Um, yeah, so there's that. And also um, adding fuel to the uh, flames was the fact that uh, the somewhat capricious Peruvian goalkeeper Ramon Quiroga the somewhat was Argentinian born. The, the what? The somewhat, somewhat capricious, capricious Argentinian. I thought you said uh, the somewhat pernicious. And I was like... <laughs> the somewhat capacious yeah, Argentinian that's a bit goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he was born in Argentina, so that was sort of uh, fueled by... Apart, uh, of all these games, this is the one that has the most compelling evidence about it, and the, the book Brilliant Orange by David Winner, which is a very good oh, uh, history of Dutch football. Since there is, uh, it. It's good. I read it. I've just read football books this month during the World Wonderful Cup. It's been uh, brilliant. He says there's compelling evidence to suggest that the game was indeed rigged yeah. in favour of Argentina. But um, now you may... Well, actually, you, you mentioned about the Scotland-Peru um, game, about how, like, that... You know, you mentioned about how that um, that wasn't fixed. I would um, disagree with that because, I mean, you need to look at the empirical evidence here. You know, Scotland, they were on the march rallies army. They were going to the Argentine. <laughs> That's true. And, you know, it's, it, it's empirical fact, right, that they were represent, representing Britain and they were going to do a die. But England couldn't do it because they didn't qualify. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is it is undoubtedly so true. England were we were all going to Wembley. Uh, England was such such pants in the seventh. The <laughs> so, but um, I mean, you um, now you may uh, object and say, well, um, are these truly works if not all of the players, you know, certainly the uh, beaten opposition, were not in on the work? And there is evidence suggest, you know, for example, a wrestling match in which only one person is uh, treating it as a work, such as, for example, some of the matches involving Akira Maeda or uh, Nobuhiko Takada versus Koji Kitao. One guy was treating it as a shoot, the other guy was treating it as a work. Ogawa! <laughs> I want to submit to you uh, an example of a football match that was undoubtedly a work. And again, it's a, it's a World Cup, and then we can go into examples uh from your own experience of this, um, uh, 1982 World Cup first round match between um, West Germany and Austria, the so-called uh, disgrace of Gijon. Uh, so going into the game, the uh, this game is the reason that the final um, rounds of World Cup group fixtures are played simultaneously to stop things like this happening. Um, West Germany and Austria went into the game knowing that a 1-0 win for West Germany would send them both through to the second round. Germany scored after 10 minutes and the... Um, the players spent the next 80 minutes just passing the ball aimlessly to each other, not even trying to uh, do anything, all of them content to uh, just ride it out. One Spanish um, uh, newspaper referred to the game as El Anschluss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, um, are you, um, yeah, it's, it's an absolute disgrace of a game. Um, but it just, rem- um, it just reminds me of that... Um, the Immortal Simpsons uh, yes. football commentary. Snorris, do something! Halfback passes to the center. Back to the wing. Back to the center. Center holds it. Holds it. Holds it. 
Halfback, passes to center, back to wing, back to center, center holds it, holds it, holds it! Actually, the, the, the Austrian television commentator um, of that game literally told the viewers at home to switch off their televisions <laughs> as what they were seeing was was a, a blemish on uh, football. But Japan were doing a little bit of this at the... Um, at the World Cup um, uh, this time round. Oh, um, I was gutted when the Samurai Blue went out, man. As, as I as I think I posted on Facebook, um, I I was more distressed um, than Keiji Muto's forehead um, in a match against Hiroshi Hasi. <laughs> yeah, like that. That yeah. was, I mean, what a, that the was a heartbreaker. Even is Belgium. I mean, like, what is it it's, really? Like, it's like a Tintin and the bloke that wrote that was a fascist. Chocolate's good. You have got beer. <laughs> Um, Rembrandt, Rem, no, it's Rem, Rembrandt's Dutch. Yeah, Rembrandt is Dutch. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Japan were, but in their group game before they had that heartbreaker against Belgium, they were just passing it around the back for the last ten minutes. Poland mm. were one nil up, and they they didn't care because they won and they were out anyway. And Japan were like, okay, well, we'll just keep it at one nil and hope that Senegal don't get a goal in the other game, and then. Um, will just try not to concede and go through on the uh, f- having fewer yellow cards than uh, Senegal. Uh, Mark Lawrenson was uh, very unhappy about the fact that they had done this to try and he's go through on fair play as though they couldn't... When is it not? Yeah, as though they couldn't just have done the same thing to try and go through on goal difference. He also suggested that um, a fairer way to separate the teams might be um, goals scored during qualifying. Poland played 10 games in qualifying and Japan played 18, so this is a fantastic uh, idea on the part of Lotto, as usual. Um He's just a silo for bad shit dad opinions, isn't he? Just a big bobbin silo full of bleach that just incubates shit dad opinions. Apparently, in person, he's a very warm, funny guy. And on Quickly Kevin, he, on Quickly he was Kevin, interviewed. I was no, ready to get he's Kevin, really good. Honestly, he was, I think he's really nice in that kind of situation. But when he's broadcasting, like he just comes across like an utter fucking oaf. He just like it's like Jerry Lawler for the last few years on like WWE clearly just resents what he's watching. Like he's just there for a paycheck. Yeah. Um. It's. I mean, give give me yeah, yeah. you know give me. I was gonna say you know give me anyone any day. Give me the fucking give me a fucking German language feed. I barely understand. Like um. But uh, going going back onto work. So D- David, you had um. We were talking about uh one uh earlier. There was that uh Madagascan Premier League. Oh, um, good God. Yeah, this, this is absolutely fucking amazing. I'm actually a bit pissed off at this because um, it also took away the the record, um, the really, really famous record. It was Arbro versus Bon Accord. Yes, um, yes. Oh, yeah, the, that looked like 63... What, what was it? 36, 36 nil. 36 nil, sorry. 36 nil, yeah. Well, do you know what that happened? Because uh, Bon Accord were... As a kid, I remember just seeing that everywhere. Like, every, like, trivia book, every episode of... Like, uh, like a, a sort of like issue of match or shoot would have that as like a stat. Yeah. Well, well, the reason it happened was Bon Accord were not a football team. No. They they were they were a cricket club that had been oh. registered in in error. <laughs> and they were, yeah yeah they were a cricket team. They'd been registered in error, and they basically thought, ah oh, lads, we're here now. We might as well. That's fucking amazing. That's like the yeah, inverse yeah, of Ian Botham's football career. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they, they were a cricket club. I know they're Red Reed in Scotland, but they were. That is wild shit, man. History's yeah, fucking great, the, isn't it? I love the, history. The, um, I think our bros still claim the record. I think they still say, no, they are the, the biggest one, because clearly this is just absolute horseshit, this one. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so the famous score is AS Adima 149 uh, versus Leia Minri, um, who No. 
Uh, so the, it was 149-0 to AS Edema. Um, this is an absolute fucking bin fire of a match. <laughs> it's like... It's just so ridiculous. Essentially, what it was is I believe that um, uh, was it Le Minry, um in their uh, last game had been given like some sort of like shitty refereeing decision, and this is back before the days of VAR. Um, but they've been given some sort of shitty referee decision. They gave a late penalty and basically meant that like the other team scored a penalty and they get knocked to the title race. So they decided to protest by scoring 149 own goals. Yeah, like every after every kick off, the ball was kicked into their own goal. So literally, just blow the whistle and then kick it in, and then obviously after our own goal, it goes back to them to kick off, and they just kept running back, <laughs> and the opposition just sat there and Lewis looked really confused. <laughs> like, well, we'll take it, it's fine. Um, apparently, all the spectators were descending on their ticket booths to demand a refund. Well. Um, the the other one I heard of was um I can't remember what league this was in but basically there were two teams uh, each vying for promotion and they were level on points and so on the final day of the season they each bribed their opponents to let in as many goals as possible <laughs> but they didn't quite do like at least like say Argentina would beat Peru like fucking eleven nil or something um people would have smelled about six nil as a heavy defeat but at least somewhat plausible. That is a score that has happened in football yeah. matches and you know sometimes does. Yeah, it's not like completely out of the blue for the fact. No, exactly. The uh, no. this the scores in the uh, in the uh, promotion deciding matches in this division were eighty eight nil and and hundred and forty four one. Yes. And it's it's the one that makes like they clearly thought. Tell you what, if we let them have a goal, no one will suspect a thing. It's like um when that golf course opened in North Korea and uh, Kim Jong Il went round and he got twelve holes in one. And they, someone had clearly thought if we say he got eighteen, no one will believe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, that happened though, yeah. Yeah, I oh, know. Obviously, yeah, yes. Yeah, standard. Yeah. They got the tankies, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the great leader is basically this generation's Colin Montgomery. <laughs> He's more <laughs> likable than Colin Montgomery, to be fair. <laughs> Monty! I'd like to mention this is the third time we have referenced Colin Montgomery in this podcast. Just before we move on, who is your favourite Monty? Is it the African field-based marshal? Uh, is it uh, Monty Don uh, from Gardner's World? Um, Monty Python? Um, or... The other Monty that we actually had at the start of this, which I'm too drunk to remember. The man from Del Monty. That guy. <laughs> I am going to um, trump all of these with Monty the dog who wears glasses. Oh, what? a deep cut what? from the deep... internet, interwebs. I know, yeah, that's a deep, that's a deep, deep cut for you. Well, I mean, I will say that Colin Montgomery, uh, won, uh, he won a record eight uh, European Tour Order of Merit titles, including a streak of seven consecutively from 1993 to 1999. <laughs> this is the third time I've mentioned this in this podcast, and I will mention it every single time we mention Colin yeah. Montgomery. Spoken like a man who definitely does not have Wikipedia open in front of him. True. Does he have, jet, does um, he have Jet's autograph, though? <laughs> Got outside that new millennium barn down. Because I don't, but if drone. someone would like to... <laughs> anyway, this is probably not the time or the place, lads. Yeah, come on. Probably not. Get yourself together. Um, Have Daniel... some decorum. Come on, for God's sake. 
<laughs> you perverse. Um, Daniel, before we move on, you played uh, youth football, um, you know, against you know, uh, Titans such as Reddish Vulcans yep. and uh, other uh, other teams. Well, it's Did pretty you that, George. <laughs> <laughs> because I have a contribution for this section, which is somewhat based around those experiences. Oh, do you? Let's hear it then. Uh, well, <laughs> we genuinely didn't plan this before, by the way. Go, go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The um, the story goes. Um, this this is not this time about the, the much vaunted um, reddish Vulcans um, convicted fraudsters. Are you listening, Mr. Chairman? And strange ways. Um, are you listening, reddish Vulcans? He's just Principal Valiant from uh, the from uh, the Simpsons. <laughs> Doctor Spock. Doctor Spock. Are you listening? Was he a Vulcan? <laughs> yes. Right, good. Half, yeah, cool. half Vulcan, half yes, human. Anyway, Daniel, anyway, this, this isn't about the Vulcans. Um, this is, of course, about the storied um, team from the Badlands of Wigan, Young Stockonians. Um, now, Young Stockonians... Make us out to murder, Of course, yes. <laughs> so, Young Stockonians were the worst team in the league, and we were playing them on the last day of the season, and if we won, we would have clinched a promotion place. Uh, we were trying to get into that uh, fourth place playoff, right? Um, now, young Stokonians, I, I don't want to be unkind, but I will just say that a lot of the players that were in young Stokonians did go on to become quite big deals in weird shit around Gamergate. <laughs> so, like, um, <laughs> Great. like, at least three people that played for young Stokonians for some reason. Wicked must be a hotbed of this shit, like, but, uh, you know, this is like early on when they were kids, but it's weird. Uh, but anyway, um, we were playing them, and um, the referee that was meant to be there for the day from the Metro League, that was the official uh, institution, he didn't show. So, of course, in those oh. circumstances, you have to get a volunteer uh, from, you know, one of the, the parents or, or someone to referee the match. Um, you know, because this is the, how ridiculous English football is. If this was Spain, they would say, no, you can't play this match. We wouldn't allow it because we haven't got a licensed referee uh, or any coaches. It's just people running about kicking a ball. This is stupid. Um, anyway. Um, so the match went on, and as it went on, um, the guy that had volunteered, he was a father of one of the young Stockonians people, but, you know, us, more Celtic, uh, you know, um, warriors, we presumed that everyone had our warrior spirit, that everyone would have our decency, and that no one would be a homer for their own son's team. Well, that was not the case, my friend. That was not the case at all. Within five minutes, I was subject to one of the most horrendous crunching tackles I've ever been subject to in my entire life. Coming in, not just above the shin, not just above the knee, but towards the pelvis. <laughs> now, I ask you, gentlemen, I may be an Englishman, but is the pelvis not a place of ill repute? A place that should never be sullied with a kick? I say yes. Anyway, he absolutely fucking decked me, right? So I'm on the fucking floor, crying in agony. And the fucking uh, like, uh, ref runs over, looks at me, and just I literally shouted to the bench. He literally shouted, Oh, he's just a big Jesse. <laughs> a big Jesse. And how right was he? Well, yes. Um, in subsequent years, um, the, the utter juggernaut known as your own sexuality does tend to catch up with you. Um, but um, in, um, in in those days, it, it remained very repressed. They, 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 David, David, Queerest Folk had just been on. Was that the moment you saw the rainbow? Of course it was. <laughs> uh, no, that that was probably... No, we shouldn't go into that. Um, 
I can't name names. Um, <laughs> well, this has got right out of hand, so let's bring this one back. Oh, fuck. Um, I, I, I have to say, like, um, uh, it, it says something that I've been up since 5am uh, because I went into work early, so I'd, I could fuck off to watch the World Cup, and I'm not the least with it member of the podcast at the moment. <laughs> like, that takes quite some doing. Oh yeah, 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 that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was uh, it was a, a nice insight into the grimy world of uh, youth football, which I was always uh, too lazy to ever uh, uh, get into myself. Um, actually, speaking of like just right hammerings, uh, this isn't one which to work, but like a story I want to relate um, uh, before we uh, move on to our next segment. Uh, a, a friend of mine played in a gigantic knockout six-a-side tournament in London featuring loads of thousands and thousands of fucking teams just a straight knockout so they didn't know you'd be against and their their opponents in the first round was a team simply called Nigeria now there was a team um, at our uni uh, in Exeter we played in the six-a-side intramural league and there was a team called Japan but none of them were actually Japanese it was just, just a bunch of like Caucasian uh, lads so they assumed that oh these guys are calling themselves Nigeria it's it's just a bunch of fat 35 year old white accountants trying <laughs> to be funny and uh, it actually turned out to be Nigeria under 17s <laughs> and in a 20 minute six-a-side game my mate's team lost 36-1. <laughs> it's the one that makes... <laughs> yeah, yeah, he scored the one, so he was really happy. The one's but so precious. That means that um, they scored a goal approximately uh, once every every uh, 30 seconds <laughs> in this match. And that is including the time taken to get the ball out of the goal, back to the centre circle, and then dispossess the other team who were kicked off. Oh, it's, it's, it's bad, isn't it, that? <laughs> It really is. And like considering some of the, uh, shall we say, creative uh, practices of certain uh, certain uh, age group teams. No. Um, <laughs> well, there's that. All, all I'm saying is, do you remember that uh, story about um, Scotland playing Saudi Arabia? Yes, yes, I do. The 1989 Under-17 World Cup final. They lost to Saudi Arabia and later transpired the Saudi captain was like a married father of three and an army captain. <laughs> He had a bus pass. Come on. Yeah, yeah man. He was fucking... Yeah. He, yeah, he was getting government help for all his ales. Like, he was, you know, he was well done. Was it to Rebel West? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Won't know Kanu. Looking sprightly at 32 these days. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's my story of Live Vicariously Through. Moving on, just before we get on to um, the best football angles, I want to talk about uh, football works of a different kind, um, namely uh, football on uh, on the small and big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, you know, if you're filming a uh, football movie, the match in question is going to be a work. You know, we have things like um, Escape to Victory, Yes. Um, the, the match is always absolutely ludicrous as well. In Escape to Victory, they're like 4-0 down to the uh, Nazis at um, at half-time and then uh, come back to draw 4-all. And, uh, and then probably most most unbelievably, like, um, Michael Caine manages to, like, resemble a passable athlete, where um, <laughs> apparently, according to the footballers who were um, filming with him, he couldn't run, like, 100 metres without getting blown up. So, uh... you're a, you're, hey, Michael, Michael, you're a big man, but you're out of shape. <laughs> I, I have a, um, a good uh, escape to victory anecdote because it's always on at Christmas. Always is on at Christmas. Oh, yeah, it yeah, was yeah, on yeah, Christmas always. Day once, uh, and we all watched it on Christmas Day when we we're having our dinner. 
my sister turned to me and goes, is this based on a real story? I was like, yes. <laughs> uh, I live in prisoners of war, played in a match against the Nazi Germany for their freedom. This actually happened. Sylvester Stallone was there. Pelly was there. Um, yeah, they were all there. This all is the big names. Entirely in fact, yeah. Um, uh, not, not, to, not to undercut you, but it actually was based on a true story. <laughs> no, no, it genuinely was. Like, um, There's a bit about this in um, The Outsider by Jonathan Wilson, is it, who is... Uh, I, uh, I, know, I know it was, it was like, inspired by a story, but I can't remember... Uh, there's a lot of embellishments, isn't there? Oh, yeah, yeah, it wasn't like a multinational, multiracial sort of team of... Uh, <laughs> there were POWs in, uh, not in, um, uh, in uh, Western Europe, but in uh, Ukraine. And uh, basically, a lot of them played for uh, Dynamo Kiev, and they set up their um, they set up their own team in the prisoner of war camp. These Ukrainians, a lot of whom were like top pros in the Ukrainian league, and they were battering all the teams. And the uh, the Nazis who were, you know, they they didn't like this, so they challenged the uh, Ukrainians to a game. And I think they got battered in the end. The Nazis, it was like five one or something like that. And um, Unlike unlike in the film, they didn't escape, and most of them died in the prison. No, camp, I, I, I know this, sad, but it, it is based on that. It's just not the team that um, they didn't win one game. They won like four games. What happened? They yeah, yeah. the first time, and they said, "Right, lads, we're gonna have a replay. Um, stick to the script this time." Um, <laughs> and then they beat them again. Uh, and he goes, "Right, we're gonna give you another another chance. We, you know, we the Nazis are, you know, big proponents of second and third chances. So you know, we'll let you have another go. <laughs> um, you know, we'll try this one again. And then the Ukrainians won again. And they just kept hammering them every time. I would love. I I don't know why, but I'd love to see like a thick of it style documentary of like the the Nazi team in the dressing room." Uh, when they're like passing around like a photo of the Dynamo Kiev team and going like <laughs> you know wait a minute hold on and then just having this absolute meltdown as realise they're playing against like one of the top teams in the Soviet Union <laughs> and and the manager going and you can fucking bring your bratwurst as well because when I'm done with you you're gonna fucking need it <laughs> um, Carl, so you little the 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 um the actually as much as escape to victory is uh, absolutely fucking ludicrous um uh I will give it this in that uh, Pele's character uh, Luis Hernandez is a uh, from Trinidad um because uh, Brazil had not yet entered the war during the year that the film is set is that because they said they supported the fash no, no, Brazil actually entered in this uh, on the side of the Allies. I, 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 I know you might be surprised at Brazil not being fash, but um, yeah, yeah. So I will give the makers of Escape to Victory that. However, this is all a roundabout way of saying: Did you guys ever watch Dream Team? Yes, oh God, yes. I, I, I still, I still have um, horrible, horrible dreams at night of the UEFA Cup final bus crash. Oh God. Um... <laughs> here, here. Do, do you want to know something utterly reprehensible? Yeah, um, you know, on Championship Manager, like I think it maybe ninety nine, two thousand, something like that. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? You guys might have done it as well. I think I can see in your eyes. I made what they called fucking Harchester Dragons, whatever it was. Harchester United. <laughs> Harchester United. I made them on fucking Championship Manager as like as like a fake team, and I put them in the English league. And I, I did all the players, all the names. And the the ground was called the Dragon's Lair and all this bullshit. Chairman was like Jerry Block. I was like fucking. Oh, Jerry Block. And I made, and I, made oh, I cheated, I so I made every player 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 and everything. I fucking <laughs> absolutely battered everyone. It was brilliant. 
Uh, the the um, there was actually I forget the guy's name. I'm just reading uh, the Game of Our Lives by David Goldblatt, which is mm. a very very good uh, sort of social history that? of I've English I've read the Ball is Round, which is an amazing book by him. That's a, that's a yeah, fantastic yeah. book. Fantastic, yeah. um, Game of Our Lives focuses on English football, and there was a guy who about. Um, uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, he bought Mansfield Town and he actually tried to rename the club Harchester United. What? Actually? I'm not kidding. This actually happened. I've never heard. That's fucking mental. Yeah, he tried to rename it Harchester United. His rationale was Harchester United have been on TV for 10 years. We haven't. <laughs> well, well, that, that, so well it, that, that's quite brusque, but yeah. The old TNE argument. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, your pay's coming next week, son. Your pay's coming next week. Now go home and say goodbye for your family. What I loved about Dream Team was that, like, the match footage was um, just like um, sort of recolored Chelsea games. You see, I remember it as being amazing because I've not seen it since it was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like the match footage was. They did close-ups of the actual actors. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But then, yeah. like. The yeah, basically. So they basically just recolored the Chelsea players purple and just showed the footage. No, and look at the goals and think like, uh-huh. this looks uh, this looks somewhat familiar. And actually, in later series, um, they um, Chelsea signed Didier Drogba, and they were like, oh shit, we're gonna have to like. So they found the the actor who looked most like Didier Drogba, and like, but he was a centre back. So they just did a storyline where he'd become this makeshift striker, <laughs> and like, it was really dodgy. I, 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 I mean. That literally is Roy of the Rovers stuff. <laughs> I, I love the idea of like at one point like Diego Maradona on a purple strip just hammering a ball with his fist and hitting it <laughs> into the goal. No well, one was... no there, there was one episode where there was a there was a series where the storyline was that they'd been relegated from the Premier League for financial irregularities, but and they finished fourth, but for some reason were still allowed to compete in the Champions what League. What and then storyline like oh the car lots burnt down. <laughs> and they got drawn to play Lazio in the Champions League, but they didn't have any footage of Chelsea playing Lazio. So basically what they did was they just filmed it with a load of extras and it was really obvious that there was fuck all people in the crowd and it was played at like the fucking new den or, or some or some <laughs> what, shit like that. What, what, do you and mean, just... what do you mean Ian Beale wasn't a fucking centre-back for Lazio? <laughs> did you see his moustache? That, that says... 1970s hardman Italian defender. <laughs> or chip on lip. <laughs> so, so, like, um, I think probably the best dream team, uh, the best dream team storyline was when they just killed the entire team, uh, presumably because they couldn't be asked to, like, pay all the actors and they wanted to get some new ones. So they just all died in a, like, flaming bus crash. Except there were three survivors who carried on legacy, the exact same number of gods that survived Ragnarok. <laughs> are, you, are, are you saying, George, that there was a, a deeper subtext to uh, to this show? I would have gone for some... I would have gone for some surtext. Like, just, just anything. All right, black team. <laughs> I literally don't even know who the fuck that is. I think he's a Russian literary theorist, though. Yeah, it's the, the Manipian theory. Yes, that well, smart now. Uh, what, what, um, yeah, I mean, like, Dream Team, when it was at his heyday, kind of um, centred around about the same time as Brookside went down the toilet. <gasps> and, um, was, uh, oh, no, I love Brookside. And there was just such an arms race of, like, batshit stuff, like when the IRA turned up in Brookside close, oh, and there was a helicopter crash. And Giant and Baba was knocking on Jimmy Corkill's door, saying, Jimmy, I need you to do one last job. Jimmy, I need you to do one last job. 
Oh, come in, fucking uh, Baba. Come in the kitchen. We'll talk about it there. <laughs> oh, uh, the, the also the, the 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 other great thing about Dream Team was the um, repeated cameos by former Chelsea right back Mario Melchiot, who clearly fa- fancied himself as a bit of an actor, really? and he was. He was in like one episode of series. He was always there, like um, doing cameos as himself. It's like it's like when Hitchcock would always put himself in his films. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Mario Melchiot was the the invisible hand <laughs> behind uh, the uh, Sky One dramatic phenomenon. Mario uh, Melchiot is the bacooninist hidden hand behind the revolution, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was uh, that's uh, yeah football. Uh, D- Daniel, favorite. Um, Football TV show slash film slash um, like it, football in fiction. Yeah. Um, well, I'm gonna go for one that I don't know if that many people will have seen before. Um, but if you're, it's gonna be far more than I've heard of mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, pro- probably yeah, actually that's true. Um, but um, yeah, if you're a City fan, um, Manchester City fan, I should say, um, not to upset all the other teams that are called City, um, then you've probably seen this. But if you're not, you might not have done. But it's freely available and it's on YouTube um, and it's a documentary from um, 1981, I think. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's called City and it's a city with an exclamation mark uh, on it. Um, and it's a six parter on YouTube, but it's um, about like eight, nine minutes each. So it's about 50 odd minutes long. Um, and this was actually on, I think it was ITV. I don't think it was the BBC. Um, and uh, in the season 1981. And this is pretty ahead of its time because it's a... Um, a all access um, kind of back uh, backstage pass to um, everything that's going on in the club at the time from the boardroom, um, which is suitably cigar filled and full of the most utterly horrible little slugs you can possibly imagine. Um, <laughs> just pinstripe slug fuckwits, um, just like pissing the fucking club down the drain. Uh, and then downstairs, you've got full access to the club, which has just been taken over again by city legend Malcolm Allison. Um, who, of course, was um, um, in joint charge in our greatest period in the uh, in the sixties, or greatest period until recently, maybe. And this is a really incredible documentary because um, it's just completely candid in every way, in a way that football documentaries can't really be now. Um, it's the first of those kind of like the, the famous John Sitton documentary. Um, you've also got like your Swindon one with Hoddle, um, uh, the, the Graham Taylor documentary. It's really sort of the first in that lineage, really, I think, in, in English broadcasting. Um, and when you watch it, you really get an idea of how much of a fucking um, downer this club was on at the time and would continue to be on until we fucking won the lottery and got bought by petrofueled evil bastards. Um, and um, it's something that I think everyone should watch just because the machinations in the boardroom in particular are just utterly craven um, and spineless. And it shows you the kind of um, utter scumbags that used to run English football. People have got a kind of, it's like, um, you know, everything was better back in the day attitude about English football and modern football is terrible. But actually the people, the local people that own football clubs were just as bad back in the day. And they're all sleazeballs in this. It's a guy called Peter Swales, um, who was a real scumbag, um, actually. And um, yeah, it's just got a real grotty, uh, real 80s, early 80s, horrible feel to it and it's almost like a piece of social realism and i recommend everyone watch it it's really interesting so you probably you probably say that was the i guess the football equivalent of beyond the match yeah. in terms of the first thing to really uh lift lift the lid on um just uh just showing someone uh having uh one of the pies at half time like he's got he, he's got a puke yeah. <laughs> he's got a puke yeah well the equivalent of that in this would be um there's a wonderful moment when um you see allison who's basically a kind of a faded great at this point 
Um, he's kind of, um, it's kind of upsetting because you can see that his ideas are still very progressive. They're still very interesting. They're still very free flowing. And he's a real innovator in those kind of like um, continental ideas being brought into the UK. But the UK is still kind of catching up with him. And some of the players don't really get it. And then he's got a few players who are very young. And there's a moment when he just takes one of them aside and he sort of gives him instructions about his runs. And he's very specific. And you can tell the guy doesn't really take it in. But you think, nah, you know what, if he was giving that advice like today, that would be probably fucking something that a lot of players would take on board. Um, and I think it just shows that like there were, much like wrestling, when I watch old school wrestling, there are mavericks that are kind of um, underappreciated uh, because of how far ahead of their time they were. And it meant that some of their work was inconsistent, some of their work wasn't perfect, but it also meant that they laid the foundations for other people to come. Um, so to tie it back very tangentially to wrestling, <laughs> that's kind of what I would compare it to. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, David, what about yourself? What's yours? Well, um, you know, Dan, I know that was an absolutely fantastic choice and I'm really just going to take us in a whole different direction because yeah, no, clearly it's the episode of Taggart that was filmed at Fur Hill. Um, <laughs> because um, it's um, with um, Denzel from Only Fools playing the role of John Lambie. <laughs> what? Oh my God, that sounds amazing. Um, oh Strathclyde FC, as yeah. they are known. But, um, and Alex Ferguson playing reasons. the role of Taggart, of course. Yeah. Um, they had they filmed all uh, all the football scenes in a pre-season friendly at Chesterfield, and uh, there's just lots of scenes of all these like Jags fans shouting red card, <laughs> red card, and they made them do it over and over again. Um, it is a, it is wonderful. It's just it's just quite hilarious, and it's so weird just seeing like somewhere you go every week. Well, actually, well, this is the problem I have with Taggart is I have Taggart syndrome. And because I am from Glasgow, I can't watch Taggart because I'll watch it and I go, I've been there. Where is that? And then I'll just like constantly just try and figure out where this the scene is being set, that's, that's, as opposed that's, to actually that's, watching the program. Yeah, in Manchester, that's known as cracker syndrome or uh, queer as folk syndrome or whatever. Yeah, same thing. It's a genuine thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, because I went to uni where they did all the stuff and it's all distracting, that. Distracting, isn't it? All the time, you just know what different is. It really it's is. But um, yeah, Tiger. It, Tiger episode fifty football crazy um with uh, Denzel from Longfields being murdered um it's an absolute fucking cracker uh, pardon the pun um <laughs> the the crime series pun uh yeah I believe it is on YouTube um isn't Tiger on Netflix if Tiger's not on Netflix then what is Nicholas Sturgeon doing <laughs> I, I think actually uh, before we move on I just want to mention very quickly um, uh, football in fiction I won't dwell on this too much because this has been done uh, much better than us but um, the uh, literary output of one Steve Bruce um, has been uh, covered on a couple of episodes by Quickly Kevin uh, Will He Score um, check it out if you if you get a chance because um, you will absolutely not regret it the, uh, the, uh, the short version is that um, Manchester United defender Steve Bruce Bruce wrote these uh, a series of three uh, football-based mystery novels, Ooh, um, starring uh, Steve Barnes, who is in no way a um, a wish fulfillment analog for the uh, the author himself. It's definitely not Steve Bruce because Steve Barnes won the European Cup and Steve yeah. Bruce didn't. Also, yeah, it's also different... Steve Bruce never negotiated with Serbian war criminals. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, as far as we know. As far as the absolute know. best, um, the absolute best bit is when uh, Steve Bruce uh, turns his uh, hand to uh, depicting Muslim characters. Oh God! Uh, oh which, God! 
No, you think football people might be bad at this now. Oh. Think uh, how it was 20 years ago. And there's a wonderful little exchange between um, Steve Barnes and this Muslim character in which um, they talk about the deceased. And this character says, may Allah bless him in the life to come. And Steve Barnes just replies with, Amen. <laughs> it's so partridge, isn't it? It's so partridge. Yeah, so listen to, <laughs> don't listen to us talk about this. Listen to Quickly, Kevin. You'll absolutely uh, not regret it. Yeah, that's um, excellent. So, um... Coming up, coming up next, what we have is um, now we've talked about um, you know football matches which were works, but what what goes uh, beyond the work? What do these works all add up into? So what we're going to do is talk about the best angles in the history of football. So the one I want to offer to you, it actually um, does tie into one of my favourite football promos, which um, is one of my favourite promos, not for the right reasons, but you'll see you see why in a minute, which I forgot to mention in the last episode. Also, can't believe we didn't mention um, Delia Smith's promo at halftime of that uh, Norwich City. We're the 12th man. Where oh, are you? Yes, Let's are. be happy. Let's be happy. <laughs> Did get that actually uh, apparently really got her over with the uh, Norwich uh, fans according Mate, to Mate, I um, thought it was fucking brilliant. Genuinely. Yeah. Good on her. W- w- why shouldn't she be pissed at a football match supporting her team? I mean, she's the chairman, so maybe yeah. this is that, but fuck, fuck it. Okay. Yeah, but like, even even so, yeah, exactly. If, if like the person in charge doesn't care, why should the fans? Um, but you know, the promo I want to uh, say is that you may, you may be familiar with this, but um, the promo goes as follows. Um, you players who in less than a few hours will be hailed as champions by millions of compatriots. You who have no rivals in the entire hemisphere. You who will overcome any other competitor. You who I already salute as conquerors. Uh, those are the words of uh, Angelo Mendes de Moraes, the mayor of Rio de Janeiro, to the Brazilian team just before the 1950 World Cup final, which they lost to Uruguay. Mm. So the uh, angle mm. I want to talk about is this so-called Maracanazo. Mm. The um, the most traumatic game in the history of uh, Brazilian oh, football. I so this. this is fascinating. Yeah, go on. Yeah, just, just to give you the uh, the uh, the setup. Um, uh, the 1950 World Cup, again, really fucking weird format in a different way to 1978. What they had was there wasn't a final as such, although I said World Cup final. It just turned out to be the decider. What they had was the uh, top four teams went into a deciding group and they all played each other. And the winners of that group would be crowned champions. It's very strange. Um, uh, Brazil-Uruguay was the final match and basically Brazil went in only needing a draw to lift the World Cup. They went in as hot favourites. They had an unbelievable squad. They were playing at home in front of a crowd of 199,000, which is a record for football attendance, which will presumably never be broken. Apart from WrestleMania um, fleet. Oh, yeah, no, obviously. And Andre the Giant really was... Uh, um, nine <laughs> seven foot, foot tall. Foot, uh, yeah, nine foot tall. <laughs> 650 pounds. Um, and so uh, Brazil and Uruguay, their results going into the game, the other... Uh, two teams, uh, Spain and Sweden, in the final group. Brazil have beaten them 7-1 and 6-1, respectively, and Uruguay have managed 3-2 and 2-all. So Brazil obliterated these teams, Uruguay drawing and barely squeaking past them. And then Uruguay went on to actually win uh, 2-1. Now, to say this um, traumatised Brazilian football is an understatement, um, you may be familiar with the iconic uh, yellow kit of Brazil. Up until 1950, they played in white. And... um, they actually changed the kit because it was so associated with that defeat uh, and they held a competition 
to design a new kit, uh, more reflecting the national colours. Uh, the goalkeeper, uh, Moacir Barbosa, was never allowed to forget uh, this defeat. Uh, 30 years later, uh, he recounts that he was out doing some shopping and this small child pointed at him and goes, look, mum, that's the man who made Brazil cry. And... Uh, yeah, I know it's it's really heartbreaking. He never he never really got over it. He, yeah. he actually held a he actually held a barbecue um, at his home like years later, and he had actually acquired the goalposts from the Maracanã Stadium from that game, and he held a ceremonial burning uh, of it. Now, um, and a lot of this information I gleaned from uh, uh, Futebol, the Brazilian way of life, by Alex Belos, the um, football writer oh, slash um, puzzle setter for some I never reason. It. I really should have done. It's it's. It's a good, it's a good book actually. Yeah, um, it's, it's uh, it goes into a lot of different aspects of uh, the sociological aspects of uh, Brazilian football. It's really good. But he says that the book was written around about the year two thousand, and there were far more books devoted to the fiftieth anniversary of the nineteen fifty World Cup than to the thirtieth anniversary of the nineteen seventy World Cup, which Brazil actually won. And the nineteen seventy vintage is um, you know, known as the greatest World Cup of all time, virtually universally by. Uh, by football fans and but they they are more fixated on the final that they lost and even though brazil have won the world cup five times after this um you know, people st- people still talk about it and um now we often say that the best wrestling angles include some long-term booking obviously we mm-hmm. had the sequel to the maracanazo in the uh, the notorious brazil won germany seven game from uh, 2014 again taking place at the Maracanã Stadium in Rio de Janeiro. And uh, the hope was that Brazil were going to exercise um, these demons. It was a home World Cup. And uh, if anything, produced a defeat uh, just as traumatising. I actually actually had a really weird experience of this match because Sarah, my other half, and I were on holiday Uh, at uh, the time. Friend of the podcast and former guest. Yes, uh, former guest. In fact, I think she's actually appeared on more episodes this calendar year than you have, Daniel. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah. the, the internet problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, me, me and her were on holiday in uh, Switzerland, and I, I saw I hadn't actually planned it this way, but if our plane had been on time, we would have arrived at the uh, friend's house we were staying at just about in time for kickoff. Anyway, it turned out it was delayed. And so we were basically standing a lift in, uh, in a lift in Zurich airport and I was getting antsy because I knew we were missing the game. And I said, Sarah, uh, and like I knew her best mate from home was uh, watching. He's like, yeah, t- text your mate and say, um, uh, ask, ask them what the score is. Get a text back saying, 20 minutes gone, Germany 2, Brazil 0. I thought, bloody hell, that's a good start. And then we get a text uh, back a minute later saying, Germany 3, Brazil 0. Then a text back a minute later saying, Germany 4, Brazil 0. I was like, are they having you on? And then two minutes later, get a text to Germany 5, Brazil 0. I was like, no, fucking hell, it's bollocks, mate. They're, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're uh, pulling your leg. And this uh, Swiss bloke in the lift overheard us and uh, just said, oh, uh, your mate is joking with you. Um, I've just come from the bar. It's only 2-0. And it probably was 2-0 when he'd left the bar. But in the short time it had taken him to walk into the lift, um, Germany had scored uh, three goals. So that's my pick for um, the Maracanazo, my favourite angle in the history of football. What have you guys got? Uh, well, do you have one off the bat, Daniel? I can go into mine if you want. This is more of a deeply personal one. Oh, uh, well, okay. well, well, mine's quite a quick one, I think, because it's not like something I'm deeply personally held to, but something I just really love. So I'll just do a quick one, then you can do like a more in-depth one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, um, cast your minds back, ladies and gentlemen, to the late 20th century. It's not the Lake District. It's not the North. It's that thing in between. 
Oh, is it? Is it? Um, is it Carlisle? It is Carlisle, George. Now, yes, oh, why? Do this one, why would a man like me, at a time like this, talking to two lovely boys like you in a bar here, actually be talking about this? What would it be? Oh God, I'm gonna cry. Don't. What would it be? Come on, someone tease it out of me. I don't want to give it out. Jimmy Glass. It's Jimmy Glass. Jimmy Glass, Jimmy Glass, Jimmy Glass, Jimmy Glass. Ladies and I would now like to call um, my hand is reaching out and touching your hand, and I would like everyone to stand up and give a. We're not going to do a minute. It's fucking stupid. A, a five second <laughs> applause for Jimmy Glass. We ready? One, yeah. two, three. Oh, that's enough. Don't spoil it. Yeah. So Jimmy Glass. If ever, ever, Roy the Rovers ever, ever wanted to win a game of football, this was the one. players out on the field, Carlisle United desperate to make sure it's not the last time they come out here as a football league side. They have got to win. It was a proud history for the club to be in the football league. It's been in the football league for some 70 odd years and it's uh, all about to go pear-shaped out the window. And Plymouth coming forward again into the box. There's a chance on here. Everybody in that ground thought that Carlisle were about to be relegated, myself included. Whoever scores for Carlisle now will be knighted. Give him a knighthood, give him the OBA, the NBA. Scores one each. Plymouth had scored. We'd equalised through David Brightwell. Then this four minutes comes up. This is very four generous. minutes to save 70 years of league football. Crowd realised that it was now in Carlisle's hands, and if they scored a goal, they were saved. If, if they didn't, then they were relegated. In four minutes to save your football club, the crowd were passionate. They were really getting behind them. United, United, you know, roaring on, roaring on. It's going to be a momentous corner kick on the right-hand side for Carlisle United. I just had this feeling where I thought, well, I've got to go up for this. I looked over at Nigel Pearson, and he waved me up. And it was like that, well, you might as well, son. Jimmy Glass, get up there. You might as well, for heaven's sake. I just headed for the six-yard box. That's where the action happened. This bloke in red and black. Ah, volley. Get in. Goal. The goalkeeper has done it. Jimmy Glass. And as soon as I turned, I just got absolutely pole But it's like... 3,000 supporters on top of Jimmy Glass. Even the referee gets jumped. It suddenly got scary. Jimmy Glass, Jimmy Glass, Jimmy, Jimmy. It was like, oh, so emotionally hyped up. You were, oh. That moment was the best point in my life, being carried off the football pitch by 7,500 happy, screaming fans. A goalkeeper on loan from Swindon Town, nobody had ever heard of. Kept a couple of clean sheets, but done his job. But popped up and scored the most important goal ever, ever, ever in a league club's history, ever. And oh, it's something like Jimmy Glass! The goalkeeper has done it! Jimmy Glass, the goalkeeper on loan from Swindon Town! And Carlisle United has stayed in the football league! That'll never happen again, ever. Just... <sighs> Tell you, it takes your heart away. It, it, it does makes you want to cry. I, I will say, you know how, you know how, like, um, it, it's kind of a, a common thing. I'm, I'm trying to avoid, you know, gender, um, you know, stereotypes here or whatever. But you know how, like, for example, a lot of, like, uh, a lot of uh, women will have a film they cry to. 
Should I have like the notebook? The the notebook is a, is a big one where they put it on just to have a good cry, right? This is my notebook. This this is the thing I'll watch if I need a good cry. Do, do you think we should explain time. who the fuck Jimmy Glass is and why we're talking about it? Yeah, the people who have well, no I, idea. He's the greatest man alive. Yeah, that he's, is he's, he. he's the greatest man alive. And since we got into films, I was going to make an Umbrellas of Sherbrooke reference, but we'll just reel back and go <laughs> for Jimmy fucking Glass. So yeah, uh, Jimmy Glass um, was a, a goalkeeper on loan at Carlisle um, at the lowest point in their history. Um, they were um, going to be relegated. Um, and they needed uh, uh, to pull something out of the bag in the last minute um, of the game, of the last minute of the season, um, to have any chance of staying up. And I think other results might have depended on it as well, but I'll have to look into that. Um, so this was really fucking last chance saloon. It's your club about to go out the league, potentially, um, and it's a huge... Yeah, and we should probably say it's yeah. not just the league, it's hmm. the football league. It yeah, sorry, professional yeah, yeah. football. Yeah. If you go down to the conference at this point, this is pretty much... The, the the death of a club. Yeah, you know, um, and like no, emotionally, like there there is pretty much nothing worse. And like um, to put it into perspective, um, in uh, Scotland, Cowden Beef have avoided twice being kicked out of the league on a playoff in the last two years. They have came down to the last day and avoided it. It is absolute purgatory. You don't want it to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's 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 like it's well it's it's. It's a thing that signifies that you're not part of the elite anymore, right? You know, like that's that that that's what it is, and, it, and, it's, and I, financially it can be terrible for clubs and stuff as well. Um, but anyway, it's the last day of the season, um, and um, it's the last uh, set piece of the game. Um, and who should come up uh, to uh, contest this set piece? But little cheeky man from the back of the fucking goalpost, and he toddles. Is there up. is there anything anything better in football? Nothing. Than a goalie coming up for a corner in the last minute of a game. Manuel Neuer will attest to that. <laughs> um, so you might be pissed, but I'm, st- I'm still topical. I'm still turned on. Uh, that's the important thing. We're in the zone now. Come on, Danny, we go. Uh, um, you talk about Manuel Neuer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the most Aryan man in the world. <laughs> Apart from Kevin De Bruyne, he's really Aryan. Yeah, so Jimmy Glass, Jimmy Glass just saunters up. You think, well, you know. This is a thing that always happens. Keepers come up for, uh, you know, uh, uh, goal kicks. Although I suppose at the time it was a bit rare. It was like Schmeichel that seemed to be the pioneer. Yeah, yeah, he did it a yeah, times. For that stuff. So I suppose it was a bit newer then, maybe. But he, 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 he sidles up and the, the ball comes in and it, it bobbles about a little bit. Someone tries to get it ahead and it, it knocks down. It just falls perfectly to Jimmy Glass. And there... It's- my friends, is the most beautiful moment in football history when the goalkeeper, on loan, strikes the ball into the back of the net and saves the club from its worst humiliation ever. That is fucking football, yeah, is it he, not? And it's also wrestling. That's wrestling. It is, like... Absolutely wrestling. This, this was Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30. I was thinking about who to compare it to, and I thought Bryan's a really good choice, yeah. Yeah, in terms of, um, in terms of the crowd reaction as well, like, there is... When Jimmy Glass, like, the ball falls to him and he blooters it into the back of the net, there is an in- instant pitch invasion. The, the crowd don't even wait for the um, for the match to be over. They all rush on with their jag-thin signs, oh, all just uh, it, just surrounding the, the, the guy. Jimmy Glass, this was his third and final game for Carlisle United. <laughs> I mean... He was there on a short-term loan, 
but he is always going to... This is the first season I watched football as well, and this was the finale. Jimmy Glass will always be remembered for that moment. He only actually played professionally for another couple of years, yeah. and then he became a taxi driver, I think. Amazing. Yeah, there's a really so, good Guardian interview with him um, a, a, like years and years and years afterwards when he was a taxi driver about it. Did Barry Glendening do it, or am I just... I'm pretty sure it was Barry Glendening that did it, yeah. yeah. But... Um, yeah, and it was like clearly he has that albatross, and like literally nothing he will ever do will ever be better than that. That he has literally peaked in life. There, there is no doubt yeah. about it. And he says that himself because there's a video which I guarantee I will be sticking in here because it is honestly I I tell everyone I know about this video and I link it to them all the time because nothing in football has ever ever come close no, to this, and it's it is phenomenal. just the greatest thing. No. Like, I, I'm a City yeah. fan. Like I've seen my team win the, the league in the last minute. Like it, this is better. This is better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And like every every time you, you now get the feeling that any time your your club is in dire straits, in the last minute you're you're getting near the edge. You're always just thinking, it's gonna we're gonna do a Jimmy Glass. Yeah. Keeper's gonna yeah. drop. Keeper's gonna hit it, and it's gonna like hmm. I can't even think about it because if if that happened to Fissel, I I think I'd just break down and cry. Yeah. Not gonna lie. Yeah. I think I would just totally like go into tears. Yeah, it's, um, it's a, such a gut punch. The words. It, it it says something for like how famous this thing is that like when you say to an English football fan goalkeeper scoring a goal in the last minute, they will think Jimmy Glass. And he was like, I mean, yeah, but you you, you say about like his later career. I mean, for his taxi driving career, read you know. Daniel Bryan post uh, post WrestleMania 30, you know, he had that run with the title, they fused him with fucking Kane, and he got concussed, then he came back and he got concussed again. <laughs> David, what's your favourite angle? So my um my my wrestling uh, my wrestling football angle is pure Memphis, right? Oh. Uh, I'll take you back to the Halcyon days of I'm not clicking that link because that's the sun. Uh, there we go. <laughs> good boy, good boy. And everyone listening, uh, do the same. Do the never, same. You, never click on the sun links. Nope, don't don't do share it. them. Don't um, click on them or anything. Yeah, but I'm not going to explain why. You should know why, and if not, then well, you know, um, educate yourself. Um, yeah. So this was um, about September time last year. Uh, Fissel played Rangers in the league, um, and Fissel have an abominable record against the old firm. Um, I don't think we've beat them in 25 years. Um, I don't think we had um, not lost to them in 25 years, as a matter of fact. And we played Rangers, and uh, we drew with them, uh, which is literally like winning the World Cup, because a lot of, um, I was going to say Huns there, a lot of Rangers fans <laughs> really, really it's upset. Like we're already clearly a ruthlessly sectarian podcast. Uh, we hate Huns, it's fine. You can block that out. Yeah, um, all, all the Huns got upset, um, and this... This escalated because they were very clearly there were rattles because the year before they had scored in the last minute and invaded the pitch like fucking Jimmy Glass scoring against fucking Peterborough United, but they they get very upset by this and we took great pleasure in winding them up and then um the night after on the day after they put up some videos and fissiles on the man section of what the manager talking about it afterwards and things like that you know usual post match reaction, and you could see some guys in the stand behind, just you know, in the seats, just walking about, and you're like, that's a bit strange, it's like two hours after the game, who the, who the fuck is this? Turns out it was a bunch of Rangers fans um, who stole all of the flags from the back of the stand, so there was like a big, like the fans had like got like 
you paid like um, quite a few hundred quid for all these flags that were lined the stand, and you went and stole them all, and in the most wrestling angle of all time, filmed themselves on Instagram burning the flags. <laughs> it was a literal flag burning angle. Um, this made the news. Um, they get taken to court and prosecuted with it. But even better was that we had to play them again three days later. <laughs> oh, no. So what they'd done is they had stolen all the flags and burned them. This time it's and, personal. Uh, well, yeah, afterwards, and it was just like, well, you know what, fuck them. And it was, a, it was a League Cup, so like this was our chance, where if we won, we'd have got to the semi-final at Hamden, and we'd also just, you know, um, you know, in the words of Milan, it's time to go to work to defeat the Huns. Um, Tough as <laughs> Bosch. Hey, AC Mulan, I think you'll find. AC Mulan. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, we so everyone bought a flag, like tons of fans. I bought a flag, I still have it. We all took thousands and thousands of flags there just to wind up the Rangers fans to say, like, yeah, you burnt, like, eight flags. Um, we have, like, lots and lots more. And this, it's like uh, the Hydra. Oh, yeah, this is like, the most, like, emotionally charged game of football I've seen. Um, outside of like fucking you know like Galatasaray versus Fenerbahce. Yeah, yeah. My um my 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 flatmate um has actually been at one of those games. I mean he used to live and teach in Turkey. Yeah, like um, we'll have to get him um um like after after asking about that. But yeah. Yeah. So where was it? Yeah. So there was a segregated stand. So you had all the Rangers fans in one in the big stand, the Jackie Husband stand, which you uh have had the pleasure of visiting, Daniel. I have. Yeah. Uh, Good party. Yeah, and. Yeah, uh, good pies, exactly. Um, and uh, one of the festival fans went over to the very edge of the north stand and f- and just furled out a giant salt tire with yes on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right in front of the right in front of the Rangers fans' faces, and you shouted, "Come and get this flag, you hun bastard!" And then four thousand Rangers fans, like Dawn of the Dead, just trying to claw at this flag to try and grab it. Um, and then this culminated where in the I think it was 89 for 90th minute um, we the people we the people <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like injury time Fissile equalised equalised against Rangers and Alan Archibald the manager ran up to Pedro Cachinho and shouted get it right fucking up you <laughs> And honestly, I was rigid. I was absolutely rigid. <laughs> How'd you like that, Apples? Oh, it was just the most wonderful gif of him just screaming in Pedro Cachino's face. Get it right fucking up you. I mean, Rangers won. Of course they won. But, you know, <laughs> just for that moment where, like, I, when a Rangers manager was rattled, I'll, yeah. I'll never forget. That's fantastic. That's uh, brilliant. It, it, it was all downhill from that. I mean, I think Rangers were um, just wanting to... I mean, stealing the part of this all flags because they they hate overt displays of identity and especially flags. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, as yeah, I they're, they're very minimalist, Just, I think, in their approach to um, yeah. iconography. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That that is why they are called the um, the ultras are called the uh, politically pluralist bears. Yeah, yeah. It, it's actually just a big queer gay club. <laughs> I mean, don't tell them that. They they think they're coming into a fucking like you know Masonic lodge, but actually, um, <laughs> we work hard, we play hard. <laughs> Putting the bears in union bears. <laughs> Just be- very tolerant of homosexuality as well, Rangers fans. Um, fa- famous for it. Um, so basically, um, 
we uh, another little angle um, uh, before we go on to our final section. Uh, David and I were actually uh, witness to we went to the uh, Kanifa World Cup uh, last month, uh, involving basically various uh, non-FIFA nations, uh, such as um, regions or uh, diaspora peoples, or even a bioregion in the case of uh, of Cascadia. Some which are sovereign states, like Tuvalu, partially recognised countries like uh, Northern Cyprus, which is only actually recognised by Turkey, and you know all these uh, other things like uh, territories like the Isle of Man, Tibet, you know whatever. Um, the, uh, we went to the uh, semi-finals and uh, actually David just went to the third place pair from the final but I, I went to the semis as well and uh, the tournament was won by um, uh, Karpatalia which is a uh, Hungarian speaking region of Ukraine also known as uh, Carpathian Ruthenia yep. who had basically yeah, did they have uh, their basically... own Maradona of the Carpathia um they they did actually they had this I can't remember the guy's name it was their number twenty two and he scored a couple of very nice goals in the uh, semi final against Shekeliland, uh, another Hungarian speaking nice. uh, region this on uh, Romania but um, basically Carpatalia had done a Denmark in nineteen ninety two in that they had not really been meant to be in the tournament until uh, a late withdrawal they had, had less than a month to prepare fancy they got. They got plonked into the group of death with uh, Abkhazia, who were the defending champions, and Northern Cyprus, who were very highly rated, qualified from that group and uh, went on to uh, win the whole thing uh, in front of uh, about two and a half thousand people, mostly uh, Northern Cypriots or of Northern Cypriot descent, uh, in uh, in Enfield of uh, all the places, which we were witness to at the not at all fash sounding Queen Elizabeth II Stadium in Enfield. Oh, nice. Um uh, so that was that was the other angle that uh, we were uh, actually witness to uh, ourselves uh, quite recently. I thought I'd do a little plug for uh, uh, Khalifa because uh, we just had an absolute fucking blast. That was such oh, yeah. a good weekend. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah awesome. they're, they're, they're a wonderful organisation. It's our fifth birthday today, actually. Is it? Yeah. Oh, lovely. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, they do a lot of good work bringing football and uh, international football to uh, uh, communities that, you know, wouldn't necessarily have it. And though I'm not a sort of into my, you know, national pride in terms of being English or British or anything like that, you know, it's 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 a it's a nice tool for bringing people together yeah, and uh, in, intercultural exchange yeah. and uh, and things like that. Even if you know you might not necessarily be on board with the whole flag waving uh, element of it, I will make an exception for Ca- uh, Cascadia, <laughs> uh, a bioregion full of. Um, um, Full of uh, let's just say hipsters, shall we? It's the Pacific <laughs> Northwest, and oh, um, what, like Portland they... in America or something, or like... yeah, 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 and like Northwest Canada. And uh, I saw a like picture a online. Oh, shoot me! The... <laughs> I saw a picture of a guy um, on it was a tw- Twitter picture wearing a uh, with a big Cascadian flag, wearing a straw hat and a bow tie. And I just typed, "Is this the king of Cascadia?" And actually, he was at the final, and I got my picture taken with him. His name's Trevor. Very sound bloke. <laughs> Shit, that's like when we met the mayor of Brig at that fucking stardom show. Oh, Sheriff Lone Star. Yeah, man, yes. pick up the Sheriff um, Lone Star. Is, How Sher- I say that? is Sheriff Lone Star the mayor of Brig? He's the mayor of Brig. Yeah, did you not know that? No, I did not know that. He's the mayor of Brig. Okay, we, should probably, we could probably cut this, yeah, but he's the, he's the, he's the mayor no, of Brig. No, we cannot um, dare cut this. This is the kind of shit that gets us noticed. This is niche. This is good. This is what we need. Come on. This is like when so, podcasts so... on Mashikata wrestlers by accident. Yeah, I'll not have that defeatist talk around my table. Actually, to be fair, he calls his wrestling thing the Troopany Show, so he, he presumably is okay is that, with people yeah. using his shoot name. Wait a minute, hold on. He does a Troopany Show? Is that fucking hell? Yeah, these what? are all the same guy, David. The Mayor of Brig, Sheriff Lone Star, and James Troopany. Retrospective on Miko Satamura. 
it's very, very good writing. I don't know if it's still up online. Um, it was on sure Wrestle Talk, like... I think. It was fucking mental. Yeah, I don't right? think those articles yeah. are still online, but DM him. Uh, yeah, it was a really good article. Give it to Famed Alex he's, Shane motivational vehicle wrestle talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a very very sound uh, uh, sound bloke. Is uh, Sheriff Lowenstar yeah, yeah. and like uh, just and like was literally the the mayor of uh, of Brig, a small town in England. Mayor so, of Brig. Well, I um, am the mayor of Brig. <laughs> <laughs> these these are northeast Lincolnshire. How has it taken us that? How has it taken us lot that long to get onto this? Like that is fucking shameful. Uh, so uh, move, move, moving on before this episode goes any more off the rails. Um, just down to our final little thing. We've talked about angles. What are the? As David wanted it titled five slash five and a half slash six slash seven star moments. So, what are just the little moments that make you think, yeah, I'm glad I am, I am a football fan? Daniel, I'm sure that I can, if I give you two to talk about, I can literally guess what they're going to be before you even say them. Because I'm going to say them as well. Because <laughs> we've already had Jimmy Glass. I think we can all universally agree that Jimmy Glass is yes. an absolute 19 star moment. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to give you one, okay? That you might, yeah, no, you might expect this actually. Um, for me, one of those moments that really makes me think I'm really glad I like this um, and it's something that I identify with and that I can really sort of um, project my own um, kind of like personality onto, um, even if it's helpful, <laughs> was um, the USA 1994 uh, group stage game between Italy and the Republic of Ireland. Yes. Now I'm um, I'm 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 not Irish. I have some Irish ancestry, but I'm certainly not Irish. I'm I'm, in, I'm Northern English. That's that, that's what I am. Uh, so, so yeah. What, so why why is this game so special um, for you? It's Daniel? because there was a certain central defender playing for the Republic of Ireland in that match, um, who was a very troubled individual. Um, a man oh, um, uh, Paul McGrath was Paul it? McGrath. Um, yeah. Paul McGrath is one of my. He never he never played for a, um, one of my clubs. He actually played for a club who I despise. Um, but Paul McGrath is one of my football heroes because um, he's been a man who's been. He had a very troubled upbringing, um, and he was, um, um, I think, um, orphaned and then adopted by um, a family. Um, and he had a lot of trouble with that. Um, at a very young age, he was um, uh, um, almost approaching being an alcoholic. And he managed to craft a career for himself in football that was dogged by alcoholism, absolutely. But at the same time, also had these incredible um, uh, kind of peaks. And his greatest peak is is this. It's him up against an absolutely world-class um, attack line, um, um, you know, from Italy. Uh, you know, uh, Baggio, um, you know, players of that calibre. And he repels them in every instant with his head, his face, his shins, his arse, his stomach, every, his feet, with brilliant time tackles, with courageous headers. With It is the ultimate backs-against-the-wall, baby-face performance against a big, hulking, you know, seemingly unstoppable monolith. It's fantastic. And honestly, to this day, I, I watched that, and, I, and he even admits to it, he says that at times in his career, he performed as well as that when he was half cut. Like, like that's, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not romanticising that at all. I'm just saying that that's incredible that someone could be that gifted. Um, I mean, I have a couple of drinks these days, and as listeners of this show will attest to, I can barely speak. 
Like he's playing, <laughs> he's playing in a World Cup final. Uh, sorry, what we you know World Cup um, um, group stage. It's unbelievable. Like um, so, that's one of my favourite um, kind of instances of, of that. Um, D- David, I think you mentioned one uh, in the group chat that I was going to mention. Because um, I, I, so. I have a, I have a absolutely an angle that I wish happened in wrestling, and I want to construct a way of it happening in wrestling because I think it's a dramatic <laughs> angle of ever. I don't know if you've ever had this in England. I re- I'm really struggling to think, but do you know the term helicopter Sunday? Have you ever heard of helicopter Sunday? No. Oh my God, right. Helicopter Sunday is one of the most tense, incredible days of football of all time. Essentially, I've set the scene. Celtic were two points ahead in the league um, going into the last game of the season, and they did the same as like, the group stages. Where they had what the what year is this? Time. Um, I believe this was... What well, era? 2004-2005 season it was. Oh, right, okay. I've um, it's gone, yeah. So yeah, Celtic were um, two points ahead in the, in the league, and they played they played Motherwell and Rangers played Hibs at the same time. So the idea was like the group stages, so that they couldn't play for a result like you know West Germany, Austria. And what happened is that because it was so in the balance, they kept the SPL title in a helicopter between <laughs> Edinburgh. Uh, yeah, um, um, between and Glasgow and Motherwell because the Celtic game was in Motherwell, the Rangers game in Glasgow. And what they were doing is, that when we find out what the result is, we will fly the helicopter to the stadium to give them the trophy. Now, um, wow. That, yeah, I mean, it was very, very tense because the games went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And um, Rangers, I think there was a delay at the Celtic game or something like that, but I think Rangers won and there was still like five minutes left in the Celtic game. So the helicopter, because Celtic were 1 0 up, the helicopter started spinning and they had like video shots of the helicopter on the landing pad ready to fly away and all that with the title away and it started going towards Motherwell and then Scott McDonald who then became like a famous Celtic player scored an equaliser and then scored a oh, one from oh, yeah, I just, I and then they, they had shots of like the helicopter of them going, you need to turn round, you need to turn round, we're going to Edinburgh, Rangers have won the title, and they had to like, do a, a massive like U-turn. Oh my God! And... David, do you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of one of our shared favourite matches, um, the um, the FMW Onita match with the, uh, the the shot over the, you know? Yeah, with the Tiger Jeet Singh. Yeah, the Tiger Jeet yes, yes, exactly. which, which is a bogging match, but it has the shot that looks like Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... But yeah, Helicopter Sunday, and it's one of the most... Because I remember listening on the radio um, at the time, and it was just Celtic have won it. With my dad, who doesn't really like, like football, we were listening to it, and we were like, Celtic have won the league. And then it was just coming through that, you know, Scott McDonald's has scored, and then they're like, and they're turning the helicopter around! They're turning it around! It's coming to Edinburgh! That's, the like, That's it, back to Winnipeg. That's Back shit. to Winnipeg. And like honestly, I I want to construct some sort of like multi like for the G one or something like that. We have like a league where like two different venues where like the trophies in a helicopter and like one guy's gonna win it and then the other guy wins it in the end and you have to turn the helicopter. It's all I want from wrestling. Yeah. Ever. The helicopter Sunday by far is the most dramatic angle I've ever ever seen. Um, I'm sure I'm sure Russo would have found a way to like swear for like, everyone. Bo, I swear to God. We are going to hang Judy Bagwell from a helicopter, put it 100 feet in the air, and they're going to think she's going to fall out of it. Oh, yeah, she's falling out. That's the wall up there, brother. You could have had him in a helicopter. 
Yeah, you could All right, Pinochet, that. fucking um, calm down. <laughs> the one and only Pinochet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, it, it, it's a wonderful angle. Um, yeah, so Helicopter uh, Sunday. We, I love how we, we made lots of angles in the group chat and have mentioned none of them apart from Jimmy Glass. Oh, I want to I wanna talk about, again, well, I think we've gone, gone to like, we've sort of moved from angles into just moments, I guess. So the final day of the season is, is a moment more than angle, I guess. One I want to do is, I mean, if, if you're at all knowledge about football, uh, you'll know about uh, Leicester City winning the Premier League oh, in uh, 2015 okay. to uh, 2016. Um, basically, the, the to this day... No one is quite sure how it happened. They had a very tight defence. But if you look at the stats, they were 18th in the league in terms of uh, average possession. OK, you don't need a lot of possession to win. You can hit teams on the counter. But then you look further into the stats and see they were 20th out of 20 for passing accuracy. And then you think, how did they win the league again? But not only did they win the league, they won the league by 10 points. It was like the, I think now it's the third biggest margin of victory in the Premier League era behind there was a Chelsea season and the Mourinho and this most recent Man City season. Um, so not not only did they uh, did they uh, this th- that's the sound of Daniel basking uh, there, much as you might do in the presence of one uh, Keith Lee, my favourite wrestler named after a town in Yorkshire. Um, <laughs> and um, yes, yeah, so basically Leicester won the league by ten points, and every week someone was like. Okay, this this is the this is the week they're gonna lose, and then they win one nil against like Manu or something. It's like, all right, this is the week they're gonna lose, and then they'd eke out a draw with a last minute winner against Liverpool or something. This is the week they're gonna lose. This is the week they're gonna lose, and they they just never did. They were famously odds of five thousand to one on them to uh, to win the league at the start of the season. And Gary Lineker, who used to play for Leicester, said, you know, there were no odds would have been long enough persuade me to bet on Leicester if you had offered me odds of 10 million to one I'd still say it was a waste of a quid like that's the um... there was a guy who bet a tenner on them to win the Premier League and then cashed out in the first day of the season like that's so dirty I'm just upset that Willie Thorne's best friend would act in such a manner (laughs) my my mum works uh in uh, Peterborough, which is reasonably near Leicester, and there's a lot of Leicester City fans in her office. Obviously, they were cock a hoop, but more than one of them knew someone who would put on a bet uh, for Leicester to win the league, maybe only a fiver or a tenner or something. And the bookies were buying people out of their bets uh, left, right, and centre. There was one guy who stood to win a quarter of a million pounds, and he uh, they offered him seventy two. Um, 72 grand to sell his bet to them oh, and he did and then Leicester won that weekend and it would have the value would have gone up by 19 grand um but again it's 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 odds law into it um uh poor him like, winning 72 grand yeah 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 exactly the fucking pauper um <laughs> i could i have a self-made man and i could buy you it's barely enough for two two years of tuition at winchester for fuck's winchester. sake um, <laughs> um I'm a mater of one uh, Nicholas Clegg. Um, so, um, but like, I don't want to talk about the angle so much as the moment, which was when Leicester um, 
Leicester won the league. It had been Cerner, but it had been confirmed after Tottenham failed to beat Chelsea in a rather spicy game on a Monday night, and they hurriedly cobbled together a special match of the day just for that game. Well, um, I also have a, a, a oh god, the match of the day was incredible. But I, I have a I have a good moment from the day before when they played Man U oh, when they could have won. The oh, league. go on, and then we'll yeah. do the, the one I was going to talk about. Where I've been telling my wife for weeks and weeks and weeks about this Leicester story because Vardy, I think, went thirteen games scoring a goal every time. It was a record at the time, and I was like this is the greatest story ever told like this will never be repeated just uh, all those guys sports cliches and um for weeks and weeks and weeks and then we get invited to a wedding on the day that leicester could win the league and i was like no like this can't happen i was like god no like so uh, we went to the wedding and i t- I, I put a, a post i was going to put a post on facebook and i and i asked my uh, I asked my wife, I said, should I post this? Which is always a sign not to post something if you have to ask <laughs> Yes! But um, the people who were getting married had no interest in football, but I had made this entire post and it was like, we're waiting on the bride coming. Um, the anticipation, the tension, not knowing what's going to come. I can't believe Leicester can win the Premier League today. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, this is the problem with the best Facebook post I'll ever make. And, and she's like, you probably should do this. And I'm like, no, I probably shouldn't. And I wrote it. To this thing, I should have. Oh man, but, that's yeah. good. Uh, the um, the um, the final game of the season. I think they won it like four nil or something. Um, what they done? It was like a, a celebration, and they got um, uh, the famous opera singer Andrea Bocelli in. I think Claudio Ranieri was like had a friend of a friend who knew him, so they called in a favor, got Andrea Bocelli there in a fucking Leicester City shirt uh, to sing uh, Ness and Dorma. And already a very powerful song of the fuck. Yeah, a dry eye in the house. I want to introduce the great maestro Andrea Bocelli is here for you. And I want to say to you, we are champions because you push too much behind us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love you.
Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh. Because of Italia, uh, Italia ninety, it's uh, resonance with that, and you know, every, every football fan in England knows um, knows Ness and Dorma. And uh, my my mum's boss was the at the game actually. Um, I think he's got a season ticket, and it was just a bunch of pissed up. Uh, Leicester fans who've been drinking all day trying to sing along to Ness and Dormer in a language they don't they couldn't possibly understand. None of them speak a fucking word of Italian, but they're just sort of making mouth sounds. <laughs> to paraphrase Barry <laughs> Davis. Yeah, none of them speak Italian, but who cares? Yeah, it's it's just um it's really, really powerful because Leicester City were a club who just thought, okay, our lot is basically yeah. Maybe try and get a few seasons in the Premier League, try and establish ourselves as a solid mid-table club. We'll probably flirt with relegation, and and that was it. And you know these people um, never thought that they would win the league in their lifetime. Even my granddad, who is you know in his early eighties, and he's a Spurs fan, and they were Leicester's nearest competitors for the league. Even he said in the last few weeks, "God, it'd be nice if Leicester won the title, wouldn't it?" Yeah, I I, I was desperate for them to win it. Oh, so was I. Like, yeah. Absolutely, like week on week. Because yeah, to be honest, even even before City were out of contention, I I kind of already, you know, I kind of thought, you know what, we've already completed football. Aguero, come on, like let them do it. Like fucking come on, we're much better, better story. Like I, I'm all about the angles, always am. <laughs> for for me, with the the, the Bocelli angle, I think that the, the the thing for me was that like obviously like, they won the league in a game that they didn't play in. So it kind of came through. It was like a Monday night, and it came through, and I was, oh my god, this is like I can't believe it's happening, and I was like so excited and like you know just so happy, and my life was really happy for me and all that. But you know that moment where you hadn't got that that moment of them winning the league. They they'd won the league by somebody else's doing. So in the next game, it was with the, with Bocelli, and um, oh god, I broke down. I just totally broke down because that moment of all the fans and them singing, it was just it, way too much. But then, like, like what I do is I record match of the day on my PVR, and then at the end of the season, I'll like, watch them all in a run. Like, I'll go through them all. Oh, uh, that sounds them. amazing. Oh, so good. They do it in a sports scene as well. Yeah, you just, like, save them all, and then just at the end of the season, just go through it all at the match of the days. And then it took me, like, nine months to get through them all again, right? But... I got to the one where like they won the league of Bocelli and I broke down again. I was oh my god, nine months on, it still just killed me. It just oh, can't watch it. All the fans Amazing. inside the King Power Stadium were were there. Like I'm, I'm sure you remember it. Uh, Leicester City fans um, came onto uh, Leicester City players came onto the pitch and the crowd all chanted, "You deserve it." Do you remember them? Uh, do you remember Literally them doing one of the that? Only and then times that that is fucking okay. This and is then the football. <laughs> this is football. And then the opposition came on, and the crowd chanted both these teams, and like it was uh, just some really classic face. stuff. <laughs> Adam Cole came out. Adam Smith did the shit. Oh, Danny drank water. Mate, the, the the shit Adam Smith did was called the wealth of nations. <laughs> oh God, this is terrible. We need to end this soon. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm, I'll be an, a mess. This is arguably the second messiest episode we've done. No, 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 but the the problem, topically, is the World Cup. It's like, my plan for today was not to get particularly fucked up, but then the World Cup's on, and it's sunny, and there's beers, and you just, you know, it's difficult not to, it's the World Cup, and you get caught up in it. No, I've had three lines going through my head for about four days. It, I'm now convinced it is the greatest song ever written. Like, someone send help, please send help. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's, that's, Sorry.
I mean, meat pie sausage <laughs> roll is right there. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, we all know the greatest song of all time is Alice Tartan Army. But um, you're going to put this over the fucking closing credits, I'm, aren't you? I absolutely am. Um, we absolutely are really going to shake them up when we uh, watch the World Cup. <laughs> the Pure Pre Podcast is the greatest pro wrestling slash football podcast team. It's slightly hypermetrical, but I'll allow it. <laughs> and on that accessible note, let's end. Yeah. Yes, so um, thank you very much for uh, listening to plugs. us. We've been the poop. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the plugs, oh, fuck's sake. I'm, I'm going to do more plugs than fucking Shane Warne in Advanced Hair Studio, mate. <laughs> oh, okay, don't, don't be an ogre. <laughs> yeah, plugs, so you can... You can you can find us at um, at Poor Podcast on Twitter. That's where we do all our lovely uh, shit posts, and we will give you links to the um, to the episodes and stuff like that. SoundCloud, SoundCloud. That's definitely what it's called. The, I, I, I'm so tired. The Poor Poor Podcast. Uh, that's the name of the podcast. And you, if you search for that name, you will find our uh, SoundCloud. You can find some of our episodes when we can be bothered to uh, put them on, which isn't very often. At I maintain the double foot stompy silly. Um, at that website, you can find uh, articles written by ourselves and other members of our collective, known as I maintain the double foot stomp is uh, silly. Um, you can so those are the plugs I've got to do, guys. You wanna plug, plug your stuff? Uh, yeah, um, you can get my music at handloomlament.bandcamp.com. H a n d l o m l a m e n t bandcamp.com. And I also do a podcast which will hopefully be coming out in the next couple of weeks, maybe. I'm um, really looking forward to yeah, this. Um, we, it's me and two of my uh, friends uh, picking apart the uh, carcass of um, late capitalism. Um, it's a politics podcast, but it aims to kind of recreate the kind of vibe that you would get if you were sat in like the pub or your front room, just like sitting about having a few drinks with your mates. Um, there'll be theories. Be... Yeah, 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 yeah. There'll be a lot of stuff I don't understand. Well, yeah, hopefully. I mean, like you know, like um, you you don't want to be too predictable. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, check it out. Um, it's called Are You Having Any Fun? And you can get us on Twitter at, at fun underscore pod. Yeah, um, much like Daniel. Go to fastbook.bankcamp.com. You can buy um, all my um, weird noise albums about pro wrestling under the name Abdullah Kobayashi. Shout out to that guy who spent £4.37 on four albums. Um, I don't know who you are, but it's literally the most royalties I've ever made in my life. So that's great. Yeah, it's a pint. And uh, on that uh, on that bombshell, we are nearly at full time. We have had our stoppage time. We have had our Fergie time. Uh, this has been uh, hashtag footballers pro wrestling. But wait, George, who's uh, that? Who's that? It's a man in red and black. He's just came into the penalty box. It's Jimmy Glass. He's got. Oh. oh! He has. Oh. This is wrestling. I thought it was going to be Buena Ventura Daruti when you said Red and Black. I thought it was going to be half of the NWO when you said Red and Black. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's... And on that note... Yeah, let's definitely stop it there. Okay. Yeah. Bye. We, bye. Bye, we out. We'll bye, be back with Pride everyone. Part 3. Someday. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Adios. Bye.
Some people think that Paley is the greatest that they've seen. There's Bobby Moore and Charlton, they're England famous too. But Arnie's Captain Army love the boys in Scotland Blue. We're on the march with Ali's army. We're going to the Argentine. And we'll really shake them up when we win the World Cup. Cause Scotland are the greatest football team. When Doherty and Dortmund left to join some other camp We had to get a man who could make us out the proud He's our Muhammad Ali, he's Alistair McLeod We're on the march with Ali's army We're going to the Argentine And we'll really shake them up when we win the World Cup Cause Scotland are the greatest football team The Argentine we're really gonna show The world a brand of football that they could never know We're representing Britain and we've got to do or die For England can they do it cause they didn't qualify We're on the match for Alice Army We're going to the Argentine And we'll really shake them up when we win the World Cup Cause Scotland are the greatest football team we're on the match for Alice Army. We're going to the Argentine. And we'll really shake them up when we win the World Cup. Cause Scotland are the greatest football team. Yes, Scotland are the greatest football team. <laughs> Not Daniel Bryan, I hasten no, to. Uh, no. And no Jimmy Glass, as far as we know. That's just taxi drivers for He's you. Only taxi driver. We should point out that we don't think all taxi drivers are racist and that we do stand in solidarity with them as they battle for their working conditions to improve throughout the UK. Yeah, no, no, obviously. But other than that, yeah, a bunch no, of fucking racists. Oh my God, racist as fuck, but... Uh... <laughs> not, not the good, honest ones in the North. No, not them. I, I actually, the most racist taxi driver I ever um, encountered was um, when I was in Salford once, uh, a few years ago. Um, and he, yeah, he, he literally said to me before I got in the taxi, um, oh, I'm glad that you got in and not that other woman. And I said, why? And he said, because she was black. It was just, the most, like, come yeah, on, say it, like, it was like the most matter of fact racism I'd ever encountered. And I was like, okay, in a similarly matter of fact fashion, I'm going to gout of your cab, you fucking twat. My, my like, favourite uh, taxi driver, like, hell, my favourite taxi driver up in like, but most of the taxi drivers in like Leeds and Wakefield uh, are from a uh, South Asian background. Which is not me saying this is a bad thing. It's just like that's yeah. In Man- that's, in, no, in Manchester, yeah, that's just that's just that's just what it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. one of them uh, was I got a Pakistani taxi driver who I was just wanting him to take me to uh, Wakefield Station from uh, uh, Service House, and uh, I just got in the car and he just immediately started talking to me about cricket. Didn't even check to see if I knew anything whatsoever about it. It was like, so did you see? Did you see the final of the World T Twenty last night? Now, as it happened, I I knew what had happened, but like, what 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 was he going to do if I was just like, no, sorry, mate, I've uh, never seen it before in my life, or worse still, just faked my way through a conversation for like fifteen minutes? What, what would happen if he got a sportsman in his taxi? Have you seen the cricket? No, I've never ever seen the cricket. 
Have you seen the curling? Having said that, you Scotland fucking beat England at cricket um, last month, from which England proceeded to go on a 5-0 demolition job of Australia in the series. I don't know what the fuck was yeah, happening there. It's a really bonding moment because this was we were this was the, the weekend of the Conifer World Cup when we'd went to Pro Wrestling Eve and he was getting constant... Now that's a serious competition, not this yeah, cricket. Yeah, well, he, he kept getting constant text updates when Scotland are actually beating England at cricket. I was like, pack up England, it's time to go home. You know, devolution has been confirmed, cricket has been abolished, and then we went into the pub for the last 10 minutes of it, and I was like, all these, there were a couple of English people there, like, what is going on? And I was just like, yeah. <laughs> it's like the one time, like, <laughs> I give a fuck about cricket. Yeah, it's like the one time you actually watch any cricket just because we piled into the Dundee Arms after uh, Pro Wrestling cricket. Eve, and like, we caught the last bit of uh, England losing to fucking Scotland at cricket. It was absolutely brilliant. Just started and, and, the, the test and a really good. So it, it's not every day that you like get to meet Chris Wolf and then um, and then watch Scotland beat the old enemy at Chris. But I did once meet Georgie King Cladsey and also uh, win something on one of those uh, seaside pickup machine things. An even harder feat than Scotland beating England at cricket. Yeah, exactly. So that's like, um, you know, there's hope for all of them. Um, this is going on way too long. Uh, just quite casually playing it about at Easter Road. They know with that one goal advantage, all they can do is wait and hope that Motherwell can put a sting in Celtic's championship bed. Davy Clarkson's coming on for Motherwell. It's going to be Mark Fitzpatrick coming on. Well, they're just throwing everything. Caution to the wind now for Motherwell with two minutes left in this game, plus any injury time, and it's added on. David Clarkson, who's scored a lot of goals for Motherwell, a youngster, but... Uh, you know, Motherwell have worked very, very hard this afternoon. Certainly haven't given up, even though they lost that goal in 29 minutes. 87 and a half minutes on the clock. Now, it's now with Jim Patterson. We will stay at Fir Park because right now, Rangers have a one-goal advantage at Easter Road. Cragen's going to play this. It's a long one. Up there, Varga. Foreign shot! He's got it! He's got He's got The ball won by Varga, but he didn't win it cleanly, knocked it into a terrible area. As it came back in, Varga tried to attack it, but McDonald managed to hold him off. It sat up beautifully for him, and he just booted it over his shoulder. No chance for Rob Douglas. Sutton driving forward now, loses possession. Mother will have the ball now. Agat wins the challenge, Agat moving forward. Out to Beattie, coming forward now, Celtic. The title is going to Ibrox. Beattie now. Celtic need the goal, they're trying, Celtic now at this point looking, wondering what's happened, the fans are absolutely gutted. The play for in the next couple of minutes. What an unbelievable amount of security and police right around Fir Park. Muller will have the ball, I can tell you Rangers quite happily playing the ball about at the moment casually playing it about, they're holding on to it, it's all about Celtic trying to get the ball back, now the ball's gone beyond, we're inside the first of three additional minutes, Celtic are running out of time, there's two minutes left, Celtic's championship snatched away from them by a Scott McDonald goal, Celtic
Celtic need to get the ball forward. Sutton is up there. McDonald's got a chance one on one. McDonald, Britain's inside the box. One of Gunny finish Celtic off. McDonald, he scores again. It's all over. McDonald has scored two one ball. Celtic are out of it. Britain's have won the title. Scott McDonald has scored for Motherwell. Motherwell two. Celtic one. Disappeared. I'll um, I'll wait for him to come back. Where the fuck's he gone? I thought you meant like the feed had disappeared. I mean, he's still there. Okay. Good. Yeah. Sorry, the, the his room is still there. Shall I say? Yeah. Um. Oh, God. Speaking of Mulan, actually, I did see a great um. Uh, a, a great post where so, someone just said, "Hell yeah, I'm LGBT," and they just said the acronym. Let's get down to business to defeat the Huns. <laughs> oh, Rangers! When will you ever not be funny? Uh, oh man, I. Oh. You're just a in disguise. Oh yes, you are. You're a in disguise. You know something, maniacs? First things first. I want the Doctor Proper to know, the Doctor Unger to know, Doctor Hughes to know, that the release forms have been signed. You're not responsible for the last couple of fractures in the forearm, brother. The main priority in the Yapapai Indian strap match is to have flexibility of the wrist that you strap your opponent with, brother. Because in the Yapapai Indian strap match, when you're in the four corners of the battle zone, the main priority is to get the body in the proper position for the strapation dudes. When I get Ric Flair right where I want him, when I get him out of wind, sucking air, sweating from head to toe, I will call out to Indian strapmaster Jimmy Hart at ringside. And I will say to Jimmy Hart at ringside, Give me Yapapai Indian Punishment Strap number one. And as I strap your body, Ric Flair, as you scream to the heavens for mercy, as I see your skin start to bubble off your body, you will drop to your knees and you will say, please, Mr. Hogan, please, I can't take it anymore. Please. I'm sorry I crossed the line.
and as I hear you beg for mercy, Ric Flair, that's when I will call to the Strapmaster Jimmy Hart at ringside for Yapapai Indian Punishment Strapage number two. That's when the heavier bats will come out. That's when I will strap your skin and the flesh will bubble. That's when the flesh will start to peel from your hide. And as I see the raw pink meat on your back, brother, I will take it to another level. I will transform from Hulk to Hollywood. I will double strap you with both fists and you will scream to the heavens, please Hollywood, don't hurt me anymore. And I will never stop.